Chapter Twenty Four of Esther Reed Yet Speaking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Esther Reed Yet Speaking by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Four. For you don't know what may come. This was the thought. Suppose Dirk Colson should want to take his sister. Sally did not believe it in the least probable. She had not that amount of faith in Dirk Colson. But suppose he should. Mart should not go for the reason that she would have nothing to wear. And here was Sally's pretty cape, which would cover the worst of her dress, and her pretty bonnet, which she knew would make a picture of Mart. But if she lent them, it meant staying at home to Sally. Could she do it? Could she bear to think of such a thing? What would Mark say? What would he do with his other ticket? Would she be likely ever to have another chance to go to that wonderful hall and be like other folks? But Mart had never been anywhere in her life. And I, said poor Sally, catching her breath with a sob, have been often for a walk on the brightest streets, and looked in at the shop windows and everything. I most know I will help her to go if I can. Young Reed had no conception of the sacrifice for which he had asked. It is little wonder, surely, that Sally's voice faltered that same evening, as she explained to Mart, who had slipped in for a bit of talk, that if ever she wanted to go anywhere very bad, she was to let Sally know, and she should have her cape and bonnet to wear. Then she had anxiously planned for her a way to mend her dress, so that it would look quite well under the cape, and she had even urged, Now do, Mart, if anybody should want you to go, don't say you won't, but take your chance, for you don't know what may come. Also she bore with patience Mart's scornful laugh and emphatic statement that no chances ever came to her, and nobody ever wanted her to go anywhere. As she talked, she grew interested and eloquent, urged earnestly that March should embrace the first opportunity to go somewhere and wear her new cape and bonnet. At the same time, she was silent about the lecture. Suppose no chance should come. Then it would be doubly hard to Mart to have had the possibility suggested. The same delicate reasoning had held her from dwelling on her own prospects. Some people would have been very much astonished over the amount of delicate consideration for the feelings of others which could be found in that little room. Dirk loitered strangely over his meager dinner the next afternoon. It was late, for he had secured a position at last in one of the printing offices, and was apt to take his meals at any hour when it happened to be convenient to do without him at the office. He had only been three days at work, and Mart had taken little notice of the new departure except to remark grimly that it would not last. But to Sally she had boasted that Dirk had gone to work as hard as anybody. If somebody could have only told Dirk that his sister ever boasted of him, it might have helped him much during these days. "'What are you hanging around for? You've got all there will be to eat in this house today, and it is time you were off.' This was the ungracious manner in which the sister took note of his lingering." She was painfully afraid that he had already grown weary of regular employment, and the fear made her voice gruffer than usual. His reply amazed her. In fact, it amazed himself. Mart, I've got tickets to a show, a nice place, and I want you to go along. Humph, said Mart, that's a likely story. Then he grew earnest, displayed his treasures, and urged her acceptance, quite astonished with himself the while. Did he really want her to go, he wondered, or did he want to please Mrs. Roberts? 
you would have been interested an hour later to have seen Mart skip up the rickety stairs leading to the Culkin's abode. You would probably have thought that she endangered life or limb by her rapid movements. But Mart was used to such staircases, and the news she had to communicate required haste. There's a chance, she said, breathless with speed and eagerness. Sally Culkins, there's a chance, and you'd never guess how. Dirk, he wants me to go to a show with him this very night. He's got tickets. It is a big show, where all the grand folks go. It is in the very biggest hall in the city, and Dirk says I am to go. Sally Culkins, do you mean it truly that I am to wear your lovely new bonnet and cape? Do you suppose I can really go anywhere? I don't know why Dirk wants me to so bad, but he coaxed and coaxed. Poor Sally. She stooped quickly to pick up a pin from the floor, so that Mart might not get a glimpse of her eyes with the sudden tears in them. Yet, as she stooped, she made her final grand sacrifice. Mart should go. Then she entered with entire abandon into the preparations. Not only her bonnet and cape, but her shoes, new ones that Mark had bought her with his first earnings after his illness, were to attend the lecture. She rejoiced over the excellent fit of the shoes. She did more than this. As Mart watched the process of buttoning them, and remarked complacently that she shouldn't wonder if Dirk would buy her a pair some day, when he earned money enough, she kept her lip from curling with an incredulous sneer. You will remember that she had not the slightest faith in Dirk. Neither must I forget that there was another thing to lend, her comb, in order that Mart's wonderful yellow hair might be for once reduced to something like order. And at the risk of leading you to think that Sally was altogether too aesthetic for her position in life, I shall have to confess that this was her hardest bit of sacrifice. Her comb was so new and so pretty. However, it did its duty on Mart's tawny locks, and the transforming effect was marvelous. In fact, when all was ready, the cape adjusted, the hat which Mrs. Roberts had shown her how to wear set on the yellow head, Sally said not a word, but went to the packing-box in the corner, which served as a treasure cupboard, and drew forth the one possession about which she had been utterly silent, a little hand-glass which Mark had bought her one winter evening, just before he was hurt, a cheap, little, ugly glass, which you would have turned from in disgust, saying that it made your nose awry, and your chin protrude, and your eyes squint, and was altogether horrid. But, held before Mart's glowing face, what a secret did it reveal! Mart looked and was silent, too, and went home in a hushed frame of mind to wait for Dirk. Home was deserted. The mother had dragged her wearied body out for a day of light work. The time had gone by when she was able to do any that people called heavy. Where the father was, none of the family knew, and their chief hope concerning him was that he would stay away as long as possible. I find myself longing to give you an idea of what that elegant, brilliantly lighted hall, with its brilliant audience, was to this girl, and being unable to do it. When people live so far below us that our everyday experiences are to them like a day at the World's Fair, it is very hard indeed to describe how our special treats affect them. It was a treat to everybody to hear Gao. How then can I tell you what it was to this girl and her brother? Dirk listened, he must have listened well, for long afterward he was able to repeat entire paragraphs and to imitate the manner of the great orator with remarkable skill. Yet at the time he would have seemed to a close watcher 
to have been absorbed in another way. He looked at Mart somewhat as he had on that Sabbath when his acquaintance with Mrs. Roberts began. But the thought which had dimly haunted him that day blossomed on this evening. Certainly Mart looked like Mrs. Roberts. It might be folly to think so. Doubtless the fellows would make no end of fun of him if he should ever tell them so, which he meant to take excellent care not to do. But the fact remained that in Sally's bonnet and cape, and above all with the waves of hair floating about her, there was a look which instantly and strongly reminded him of that lady. There was another listener at the lecture who was unexpectedly present. Part of poor Sally's trial had been to tell her brother, who had been radiant for a week over the prospect of taking her, that she had with her own hand put away the blessing. How would Mark take it? Dirk's forlorn-looking sister was no favorite of his. I think it would have been very difficult to have convinced him that there was a trace of Mrs. Roberts in her face. But such curious creatures are we that it actually hurt Sally to see how quietly he took the great sad news of her sacrifice. After the first start of surprise, he seemed preoccupied, and she could almost have thought that he did not hear her explanation. She had much ado to keep back the tears, but she had made a special little feast for him that evening, with a white cloth on the table, and a cup of actual tea, and the cup set in a saucer. She was not going to spoil the scene with tears, so after a little she said cheerily, Now you have the chance to do something nice for somebody. Who will you take on your ticket? I was thinking, he answered slowly, you know it is a temperance lecture, and it is by a wonderful man. The fellows in the shop have been talking about him all day, and they say you just can't help thinking when he gets a-going. And I was just thinking, what if we could get him to go, and he would listen and get to thinking? There were no italics that will give you an idea of the peculiar emphasis which the boy put on the pronouns. Sally understood that he could mean but one person in the world. But her brother must have answered the look on her face, for she spoke no word. Sometimes they do, Sally. There was old Pete, you know. Oh, yes, Sally knew old Pete. Everybody in that alley knew him, a notorious drunkard once, of the sort which people, even good Christian people, are apt to pronounce hopeless. Yet now he wore a neat suit of clothes every day, and brought home twenty pounds of flour at one time in a sack, and bought his coal by the barrel. Wonderful things occasionally happened in that alley. Yes, said Sally, that is true, and old Pete wasn't much like him. The tone spoke volumes. It would have almost angered her even now to have it hinted at that old Pete was superior to her father, though hardly a person acquainted with the two but would have said that there was more hope for old Pete, even in his miserable past, than for this one. How they managed it, those two. The difficult task of getting him persuaded to go, find then the more difficult task of keeping him sufficiently sober to get there, would make a story in itself. I fancy there are many such stories in real life which will never get told. The probabilities are, if they were, some wise critic would pronounce them unnatural and sensational. Suffice it to say that the task was accomplished, and among the most attentive listeners to the great speaker that evening was Sally's father, while she sat at home and mended a badly torn jacket, and cried now and then, and was glad and sorry and proud and frightened and hopeful by turns all that long evening. 
I am not sure but it was better for her that she sat at home. I don't know just what she might have done had she been in the hall to see her father, at the close of the meeting, shamble forward with the crowd and sign his name to the total abstinence pledge. She might have screamed out in her excitement, or she might have fainted, for although there were those who said, some with a sneer and some with a sigh, that signing the pledge would not amount to anything, the miserable fellow could not keep a pledge to save his life. Sally would have thought nothing of the kind. She had faith in her father's word. It is a wonderful stimulus to have someone who believes in us. End of chapter 24 Recording by Tricia G.